Welcome to the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves, and then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. We're very blessed to be joined by the following guest. Born and raised in small town, Ontario. Uh, Well-studied, very well-traveled gentleman. His journeys have taken him through France, Belgium, Germany, Portugal, Russia, all throughout Europe, and right back to small town, Ontario. Yeah, he's currently teaching high school religion, and he facilitates parish faith formation groups and gives parish mission talks. He's also got an outstanding ministry called The Catholic Moment, where you can find some informative and faith-filled short videos and a blog. But right now, his main vocation is as a husband and father. He's based in Port Perry, Ontario, and he is active in his parish life there. And most importantly, he is our brother in Christ, Robert LeBlanc, joining us right now. Robert, thanks for joining, and welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast. Thank you so very much for the, the invite, David. I'm very, very honored to be here with you today. Well, you know what? I'm really glad that uh, that uh, we've uh, been able to connect here in the last little while. And it's, uh, uh, you know, I'm in Alberta, you're in Ontario, but uh, we're brothers in Christ. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's cool to have those spiritual connections with people that you never knew until now. And I guess one of the great things of the internet too, right, Robert, is oh, exactly. uh, we probably wouldn't have met if it wasn't for the internet. So it's, uh, it's kind of neat that, uh, that we can connect this way. So so tell us a little bit about your background, Robert, and uh, how you came to be so involved in the life of the Universal Church. Uh, well, like you said, I was born in, in small town, Ontario. I uh, born and raised in Newmarket, Ontario, which is just north of Toronto. And uh, I know Newmarket in a certain way is near and dear to your heart as an Oilers fan, because uh, as I was saying, the, the, the second greatest hockey player ever to come out of Newmarket, uh, Connor McDavid, is... Uh, now playing for the Oilers, uh, the the greatest hockey player ever to come out of Newmarket. Uh, myself is uh, uh, still toiling in the beer leagues uh, after work on Tuesday afternoons with with colleagues. But uh, one of these days, the scouts will will will, will pick me up. And uh, you never know who's watching in the stands. That's what I always say, Robert. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, so kind of born and raised in Newmarket. In some ways, you could say a cradle Catholic, uh, in that I was baptized Catholic. Uh, the faith was never strong, strong, strong within our family. I would say I was baptized Catholic, but my first memories of church were actually the local United Church. Uh, my dad always knew that the faith was important, that we needed to, to get to some form of church. Um, but that kind of shifted a little bit. And then it was uh, as I grew a little bit older, uh, we started attending the local Catholic church in Newmarket, St. John Chrysostom, where I, uh, the, the parish that I, I grew up in. Uh, and then in my teenage years, I, I like to say, I, I took an extended lunch break from working in the vineyard. I kind of, uh, the, the, the wheels kind of fell off through, through the 80s and early 90s. Uh, and it was really Our Lady that, that brought me back into the faith. Um, so shortly after my wife and I were married, we 
we took a pilgrimage trip across Europe. Uh, kind of decided we would we would visit the, the major shrines. Uh, myself with my French background and her with her Portuguese background. So the um, the first stop on the tour was in Lourdes in France, uh, and it really was there that Our Lady started poking and prodding for, for, for me to come back. Uh, and it, for those who have never been to, to Lourdes in France, uh, outside of the sanctuary area, so we, we pull in and we park in the parking garage and we're, we're walking through the town and it, and it was very much like a, a almost a carnival atmosphere. I, I likened it to Niagara Falls. Um, there was all the, the, the kitsch and the shops. Uh, obviously with a, with a religious theme, but it was very busy in the, the cafes and the, the souvenir stores. But as soon as you step through the gates of the, the, the sanctuary at Lua, there's that, that sacred silence that, that falls upon, uh, upon you and, and that, that sense of sacredness. And then uh, as we, we actually went through the grotto, and I always get goosebumps whenever I think about this one, as we're going through the grotto and you could see the spring coming up through the, the rocks. And I just, I just knew that I was standing in a sacred place. I was standing in a place where heaven had touched the earth and really couldn't put it into words. And I really couldn't talk about it, uh, about it that day, but it was just one of those, just kind of being overcome with that, that notion of the sacredness. Uh, and then we continued on our, our journeys across Spain and into Portugal, and we went to, to Fatima. And that was probably one of the, the most beautiful masses I've ever been to. We were there for, for Sunday for the high mass uh, in the square in, in front of the basilica there with about 10,000 other people. Uh, and, and the statue of Our Lady is processed in and, and masses prayed and she's processed out. Uh, and then after that, we went into the Covadira and we, we were praying underneath the oak tree where Our Lady appeared to the three shepherd children. And, and again, just that feeling that this is a sacred place. This is a place where, where heaven has touched the earth. And, and that really started me then on a journey of wanting to, to get to know the faith more deeply. And, and so from there, we, as a married couple, we, we'd always been attending mass on Sundays, but from there then was, well, let's try to get to a weekday mass. Uh, and then myself, just the, who I am, I was you know, reading book after book after book, about Our Lady, about the church, uh, about Christ, and, and, and trying to learn as much as I could uh, about the faith. From that, as, uh, as you said, my, I'm a, a religion teacher. I teach high school religion. And uh, again, just needing to, to be able to teach that is, is garnering uh, the knowledge so that when the kids are asking the questions, uh, I'm able to answer. And what I found through that time is that the, the kids are, are truly thirsting to know the truth. Right? They, they want to know the truth and they're asking those penetrating questions. And so when they're asking those questions, you, you have to have the answers for the, for the questions. You, know, you have to be able to give the, the, the reason for our hope. Right? And from there, then, the notion of stepping that even outside of the classroom. And that's kind of where... The, the notion of Catholic moments started to germinate. And, you know, as the internet became 
more widely available and, and the tools to, to put together the, the little videos became more available and I became more versant in them. Uh, and just started, you know, there, there's also that kind of void out there that need to, to get the, the teachings of the, the church out there. Well, that's outstanding. And, um, you know, the, uh, I mean, I, similar to you, Robert, I mean, I was uh, born and raised a Catholic, but I did go to a, a private Christian school just from grade one to five, I believe it was. And, uh, um, you know, even though they didn't have the fullness of the faith, um, there, there was some real good fruit that came out of that too, Robert. And one of them was a scripture recitation. And uh, there, that was a, a, a held at a high premium in that particular congregation. And uh, even though there was, it was a mix of backgrounds of, of different uh, denominations that were there, I was the only Catholic kid there. Uh, but it was really neat because it, you know, it taught me to memorize scripture and also just even memorizing all the, the books of the Bible in order. And I still remember that to this day. Oh, no. And that's one thing sometimes I find in our, our own Catholic catechesis is that uh, that notion of knowing and loving scripture isn't always been there. Uh, and it was only in the last, I'd say, five years that I've rediscovered the, the, the practice of Lectio Divina. And, and, and that, that monastic practice of, of meditating on the scripture and, and, and contemplating scripture and, and doing the daily readings and, and not just asking what is Christ trying to tell me through this, but why is he trying to, to tell this to me? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, for a generation that's kind of been missing from our, our Catholic culture. But I think we're starting to see that come back more and more and it's always been there like you said robert just through our daily readings at mass and uh you know we've got a plethora of readings that we can go through from scripture every day but uh, i think it just takes that that little push right and that proper formation to recognize yeah. that hey you know if this is a journey that we can all take as catholics and another beautiful thing about being in the church is that uh, the readings that we have today uh, that you have in uh, Port Perry, what I have here in the Edmonton area, it's the same. And if we go across to Europe or South America, anywhere, it's the exact same readings that the entire church reads every day so that we can all journey together. So that's uh, that's outstanding. Yeah, you, and, that, and that's one of the beautiful things that I found in, in, in our travels. So say it was about five years ago, we went back to the Azores Island in, in Portugal to visit uh, my wife's family. There and going to the the mass on Sunday or going to the daily mass is actually, you know, my, my Portuguese isn't the greatest, but being able to follow along with the mass because the parts of the mass are all the same, and being able to follow what the readings were because I had read them in English earlier that day and was able to pick out enough to kind of know where we are and what and, and what's being said, and and that's the the beauty of our universal church. It, it truly is universal. And I'm glad you brought that up too, because I was going to say when you went to Fatima, which was, you know, it's one of the great Marian shrines in the world, uh, an amazing miracle that didn't happen that long ago, Robert, right? We're only talking about 100 years ago, the miracle of the sun. Then um, I'm sure, oh, I, I can include a link in the show notes so if anybody's interested and hasn't heard of that story. But I'm sure when you went to those different shrines too, Robert, with yourself and your wife, that you, you saw the universality of their church. It's you know, we may not speak the same language. We may look a little different. We may have a different vocation or a job that we do in life. But boy, our, our Catholic faith really unites us as brothers and sisters, doesn't it? 
Oh, very, very, very much so. And it, and it allows us to grow into a deeper appreciation that we're, we're all made in the image and likeness of God and we're all his, his cherished children. Uh, and I think that notion of the universality of the church, and like you're saying, that we're, we're all you know, one in the, the body of Christ, allows us then to treat each other with that respect and with that dignity that, that we're is all inherent in, in each and every one of us. And I think that's something that is so missing in the world today. And if we were to go back to, to looking at what our faith teaches us about being made in the image and likeness of God, uh, it, it would help us approach all of our brothers and sisters, whether they're, they're of the Catholic faith or another Christian denomination or, or Jewish or Muslim, uh, would allow us to to approach them with that love that Christ wants us to approach them with. Absolutely. So you got into teaching. Uh, was that something that you you wanted to do kind of shortly after your your pilgrimages to Europe, then, Robert, or was that something that you were already in education and uh, it, was it was kind of an extra step? Yeah. <laughs> it was already in education at that time. It was an extra step. Uh, the, the reason why I got into teaching is, uh, and I can remember this playing like it was yesterday was, you know, towards the end of fourth year university and I, I'm in the, the university library kind of getting ready for midterms of the second semester and kind of going, yeah, th this ride's coming to an end pretty soon. I better figure out what's next. Right. <laughs> and so with a history degree, teaching kind of seemed like a logical step. And uh, so I just kind of follow, followed through that. Uh, got some some time in some classrooms to say you yeah, know this is this is fun I enjoy this I didn't really want to be uh, chained to a desk and in a cubicle you know for the, the my whole career uh, I started off in the elementary school system teaching French as a second language but you can only teach people hello my name is for so long before you start banging your head off the wall kind of thing and, and I was looking for the some intellectual stimulation for my myself as well uh, so made the jump to teaching high school in the French immersion program. And uh, God brought me into the, the religious education aspect of that. And, uh, I truly believe that you know, God has me where, where he wants me to be, to, to be reaching out to these young kids. Uh, and, and one of the things I, I love to share about what I do with my, my religion classes is that on Fridays, and we talked briefly before about the Lectio Divina, so on Fridays, I'll take them down to the school chapel. I'm so blessed. I work in a building where the Blessed Sacrament is present in the tabernacle, and I'm able to make those those visits daily. That but makes Fridays, a massive difference, doesn't it, Robert? Oh, that's, that's my I, first stop on the way in. I'd love to see it in every Catholic school, everyone. Yeah. Uh, and so on Fridays, I'll take my, my kids down to the to the chapel, and I, you know, before we even go in, there's a catechesis, you know, that, Christ is present in the Eucharist in the tabernacle and you know, we genuflect on our way in and we remain silent. And then I'll do the gospel reading of the day with them and have them sit in five minutes of silence and finish with a prayer. And if you want to see high school students squirm is you have them sit silently without their phone for five minutes, right? And they're, but a lot of adults get, are that way now too, Robert. <laughs> no, 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 no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. But as they get used to it, after about three or four weeks, then are we going to the chapel? Are we going to the chapel? There, there, there really is that thirst to 
disconnect from the world and reconnect with God. And there's that, that thirst within the kids. And it uh, uh, comes back to what St. Augustine says, you know, our, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And, and these kids are starting to see that uh, the, this whole connectedness and, and everything that goes on in the world is not going to answer all of the questions. Uh, and so hopefully, you know, that, that plants a, some seeds in, in their heart for that. Uh, and so that's part of what I do as a, as a Catholic educator there. And in similar ways, tried to do some, some of that through, uh, through faith formation at the parish level uh, or also running, running retreats. And like you said, yes, adults have a hard time with silence as well. And that's, uh, I did a retreat for a parish here in the Toronto area last year during Advent before everything shut down. Um, and then it was their request as an Advent retreat. We did walking through, Ad, through Advent with Mary. So we looked at the joyful mysteries. And so I would read the scripture reading for the, the joyful mystery of the, the rosary. And then I would pick out a highlight, just a few words from them. And then I would have them sit in silence for five to seven minutes. And at the end, when the person who organized it came up to talk to me afterwards, she says, you know, at first I didn't know what you were doing. She was like, you know, what kind of road is he leading us down? And she said, but by the second mystery, she said it was just so nice to stop and be with the Lord. Mm -hmm. and, and so much of that is missing from today's culture that we do not stop and be still with the, the Lord. And that's where I... I love Cardinal Seurat and his, you know, the power of silence and that need mm -hmm. for silence so that we can let the Lord in because our, our hearts are so busy with everything else. There's no room for God anymore. And I think that's what the devil wants from us too, right? He wants to uh, have us so busy and so occupied with things of this world, the things that are, that are fleeting and passing away. And, you know, I think of, I think of children and, and, uh, and young adults, young people that, you know, really our society, it's almost like they've given up on youth and they've given up because they have no idea what magnanimity is. You know, the, this great Catholic term that, well, this is what the Catholic church made famous is magnanimity, the, the desire for greatness, spiritual greatness, the desire for heaven. And we've, uh, we've forgotten that children want to be challenged and, you know, from the time that they're young, you know, in their kindergarten age, you know, K to four kind of thing, their, their desire for a relationship with Jesus Christ is so deep. And, um, I, I, I never want to put all the, the, uh, the onus on schools, Catholic schools to teach kids the faith. That is, it's, it should start at home, but it should certainly act as a, as a secondary avenue to help for sure. Um, but what happens between that K to four and in high school, I don't think, think a lot changes. There's a lot more distractions for sure, but that desire for high school children and, uh, and for young adults to, to strive for spiritual greatness, it's still there. But when the message from the media is, and the world is, is that, you know, here's all, here's a list of all the vices that you can get into. You're going to do it anyways. You're going to get into these things anyways. So uh, just accept it uh, that you're going to be in this vice. You're going to be stuck in this. And, uh, and, and here's some, uh, you know, different types of opioids figured literally and figuratively what you can, you can take in order to, um, to remedy this and make this feel better. But our, our church, our Catholic church, we have a message of virtue that is the opposite and will make you happy. 
And um, so I'm, I was so happy that you said that you have a chapel in your school. That's, that's beautiful, Robert. And like I said, I'd love to see that in every Catholic school. And I think it would make, I think uh, it would, it would be an understatement to say it would make a world of difference. I think that uh, it would radically change our church in Canada and in the world. Yeah, no, I, I think that can happen as long as the people that are in the building as well are, are looking to, to Christ as well and, and, and are using them. Now, I, I hate to say it, but sometimes in our school, Jesus is the loneliest person in the school. Mm-hmm. He, he's there in the tabernacle. He's there in, in our chapel, uh, but he's the most ignored person in the, in the building. Uh, and I, my, my son, who was a student at my school for a couple of years, uh, shared with me one time that there was an ongoing joke that, you know, you, you're not a student at the school unless you've tripped over Monsieur LeBlanc because he stopped the genuflect in front of the chapel. Right. Right. I always tried to check my blind spot so that no one would trip over me. Uh, but that, that's within staff and students alike. And, but it, it only takes one or two people. I mean, when we think of Christ, he started with just calling Simon and Andrew and then James and John. And, and he started with the 12. And, and we have to do the same within our schools. And it's you know, getting our students aware of, of who's there in the tabernacle and how to spend time with him, but also with our staffs. And as I say, I do that on Fridays with, with my students. I also do that Friday mornings with the staff. Right, and we get about ten percent of the staff that that comes in, and it's so amazing uh, in a high school that the principal and vice principal are among the first ones coming in as well for that that Friday morning lectio divina. And I, I try to remain true. That's one of the things I always promise. It's always going to be the gospel reading of the day, and I will start with you know prayer intentions, the gospel reading of the day, and that moment of silence, and then I'll. I'll have a little prayer reflection that goes with that. And I have to tell you, some days that, that gospel reading is tough. And, and my prayer all the way into school those days is, you know, Lord, why is it this gospel reading this day for these people? You know, what, what do they need to hear out of, out of this? And uh, the Holy Spirit has never let me down, right? Uh, and, and was very blessed. It came back to me, conversation with the principal who uh, said just before our Christmas break this year that, she finds that so calming and centering to start her Fridays in prayer that way uh, and that it, it helps her get through the craziness of a Friday in, in, mm-hmm. a, in a large high school. Uh, and so in seeing that trickle down, when I first started doing this, there was myself, a friend in the, the high school chaplain. There's three of us. Now we're up to about a dozen. Mm. Right. And like you say, the, 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 the chance for that to make a difference, especially when the leaders in the school are doing this, and then that will trickle down from them to the other staff and to the students. And, and uh, yeah, the, the chance for that, the opportunity for Christ to work through us is there. Again, we always need to remember when we look back at, at the history of the faith, we're looking back at 2000 years of history and things didn't turn around on a dime with Christ or with the apostles. And we're just a very small part of God's salvation plan. And we're not always going to see the fruits, the fruits of this. 
No, and that's the that's the beautiful thing of the church. It's it's a mystery too. You know, you talk about going to those uh, pilgrimages and or on that pilgrimage and going to some of those shrines and look at the beautiful basilicas in our world, right? Uh, thinking of uh, Sagrada Familia, for example, in Barcelona, and there's there's many examples of this, but um, this this piece of of architecture and church has taken well over a hundred years to build, and throughout the years. Robert, they've they've interviewed the the chief architects and some of the engineers, and um, they said, you know, these people dedicated their whole life to working on this church that they were never going to see fully built. Mm-hmm. But the the one common theme that they had with all, all these different workers is that this wasn't just for them; it was for future generations, the future church, the brothers and sisters that they'd never met, and they wouldn't meet until heaven. But yep. it was a gift they were going to give to them, and it's kind of like with our children too, right, Robera? It's uh, we might not see the the finished work. You know, God may call us before that, but uh, you want to give them the the plant the seeds so that that um, that uh, the, it'll root and it'll it'll bear fruit eventually, right? So, you know, exactly. I'm glad you're genuflecting in front of in front of our Lord, Robert, and I hope people trip over you because you know what. In our in our world, and even in our, our with our Catholic faith and our Catholic uh, our Catholics in our, our world and our country, we'll take a knee to some ideologies that don't make a lot of sense, that are very empty of virtue and devoid of virtue, and yet we struggle to to take a knee to to our Lord and our King when He's present for us in the tabernacle and present for all of our church uh, in the tabernacle, and um, it's a real shame. But it just goes to show that it's just. Uh, it's impiety leads to this, right? Where we where we lose that sense of of Christ and, and holiness. That um, you know, it's it's the old vacuum effect. You know, if if you don't yeah. have that those pious works, those pious acts, and and have a prayer life, something else is going to swoop in there, and uh, and it's uh, it's never a good thing. It's uh, never a virtuous thing. It's it's almost always uh, vice and uh, and sin. And that's what we have a major sin problem in the world now, don't we, Robert? <laughs> oh, very, very, no, very, very much so. Very much so. And again, you know, working in the high school setting, you just, it, it seems to be all around. And it's, it's and, and trying to help the students and, and help our own children to, to be able to differentiate, you know, between virtue and, and vice. And, and again, come back to one, one of my favorites, St. Augustine and, now, there, there's no virtue without temptation. So it's, it's teaching uh, our children that, yeah, temptation is going to come. That temptation is, is going to be there. I mean, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And we need to be able to recognize temptation when it's there and how to, to turn away from it and to make the difficult, virtuous choice. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, the blog that you had called the... Um the great spiritual reset. I really, really quite like that blog off your, your website, catholicmoment.ca. And I, I found the scripture verse, Robert, I'm going to share it with you and our audience. And uh, I think it's, it's timely because we're talking about, like you said, living in the world, but not of the world and the focus on the sacramental life and striving for that virtue is just so important. So this is from second Corinthians uh, uh, chapter five. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that is, in Christ God, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I just think that that really fits really well into that blog post that you had. And, you know, we, we talk about, well, I mean, the, the media and uh, politicians are talking about this great reset. Uh, sounds very ominous and nefarious, if you ask me. Especially but does, when it does comes anyone to... know what the great reset is? Like they talk about this great reset, but <laughs> there never seems to be any details forthcoming about what it's, what it's supposed to look like or what, what's going to happen. Right? Well, that's the scary thing, especially when it comes from people that uh, uh, don't have faith and don't have God in their lives, right? But, you know, and, and I think it does, it does make people a little bit worried and a little bit, a little bit frightened, and I, I don't uh, blame them. But you know, really what we need to do as, as Catholics is to be that example, not only to, to others and to our families, but also just for ourselves to, to reconcile back to God through the sacraments. And uh, uh, as we record this, we're, we're wrapping up the Advent season and we're heading into a, a new calendar year. But maybe talk to us a little bit about that reflection that you had there, Robert. I thought it was a real good one that we need to kind of, you know, there's a lot of distractions on the outside, but to, to bring bring back our focus to our interior life and to our souls and how we can reconcile with God. I really like that, that scripture reading that you brought up from second Corinthians five uh, and that repetition of the notion of reconciliation. And we can't reconcile ourselves to one another or reconcile ourselves with God. If we don't recognize that there's a problem in the first place, right? How can I, you know, if I, if, if we needed to be reconciled, you and I, uh, if I didn't think there was a problem, I'm not even going to go about seeking out that reconciliation. And, and I think when we talk about that, the great reset that's out there in the, in the world, I, people are recognizing, yeah, there's a problem. Society is broken. The, the world is, is broken. So, you know, thanks be to God, they're, they're recognizing that, that brokenness it's then kind of the, the, the next steps. And, and so, and, and what are those going to look like? Like you said, they're, they're not people of God. So are they going to, to look to reconcile God's creation with, with the creator? And so when it comes for us to reconcile ourselves with God, we, we recognize that we're broken and we're, we're recognized that we're, we're sinful. Uh, and again, that's a, a huge problem in the world today is people just don't even recognize their sinfulness. And the, 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 the age of relativism, um, I'm my own God, so everything that I say, say goes. So there, there's that humility in recognizing our, our, our sinfulness. Uh, and I look at that as kind of being our, our examination of conscience. And mm-hmm. Going through that. Um, and our examination of conscience shouldn't just be in the, the five minutes when we're in line for the, the confessional that, it should be a daily occurrence. And it's something yeah. I, I try to do as I, I lay in bed just before falling asleep is just to go through the day. And, you know, where was I walking with God and where was I not walking with God? Uh, and coming to that, that recognition of, of my own sinfulness. And then in all humility, taking that sinfulness to our loving father. 
and, and that notion of confession and being like, I recognize these are my faults. I recognize this is where I did not walk with you, Lord. And it, it truly is a, a humbling experience to do that. And that's probably why, you know, the confession or reconciliation or penance is the, the, the sacrament that's least availed of because people don't like having that humbling experience of, of taking their brokenness to, to God. And then the reconciliation, the, the absolution, the, uh, and it's uh, that, that transformation that, that happens when we receive God's absolution. Uh, and one of the things that I've kind of noticed through that process is when I'm preparing for the sacrament of reconciliation and I'm in the church doing my examinations of conscience and I look up at the crucifix and it seems like almost as, as if my sinfulness is pulling down on Christ's shoulders. It's weighing him down. It's making the, the pain even greater on him and the, and the strain on our Lord that much greater. But then after receiving absolution and returning to the church to say my penance, which is, is always paltry. We can never do enough to make up for the, our, our, our sinfulness. But when I look at the crucifix again, it's almost as if our Lord is starting to float. And you can see that there isn't that weight on his shoulders. Right? And that, that that part of our sinfulness has been removed from, from him. And I always look, and I heard somewhere along the line that, going to to reconciliation is like taking your car for a car wash yep. right? and so and especially through the winter we all know about getting the car wash because of all the salt that's on the roads uh, but you have to pick and choose your days because you don't want the doors to freeze shut either uh, but once you when you take your car to the car wash after that you're going to do everything you can to avoid all of the puddles right you want to keep that car as sparkling clean as long as possible. And it's the same for our souls. Mm -hmm. Once it's been cleaned, we're going to want to, to keep it that way for as long as possible. And so when we look at this great reset and the great reset that God offers us through the sacrament of reconciliation, you think if more people availed themselves of that and more people then wanted to keep their souls clean, just imagine how different the world would be, right? Imagine what that, and we wouldn't need this great reset that's floating around out there in political circles, because if we've all reset our souls, if we've all reset our, our hearts and set them on the Lord, you know, how, how different is this world going to look like? And I, I love that, Robert. That's such a great reflection about Christ on the crucifix. And uh, that, that was beautiful. And, you know, that's the, the, the tough thing to see about this whole virus is that it's taking people who are already, who are already far away from the sacraments who are already far away from confession uh, and great distance from even believing in the real presence of the Eucharist, which you and I chatted about offline. Um, it's taking them further and further away. And um, you know, how do we, how do we reach out to those folks, our, our brothers and sisters that um, uh, to know that, you know, like our Lord says in the gospels, they will, know you by your fruits. And as we look at the, the church as a whole, we're, 
we're not firing in all cylinders, are we? I mean, we're just not the, um, you know, if, if, but the, the good news is, you know, if sin darkens the intellect, which I know you say you love St. Augustine as I do, one of his great little, uh, little sayings that so few words, but so, so much truth back in that. But the opposite holds true too, right, Robert? This virtue enlightens us. And oh. if we strive for virtue, what would our church look like? What would our church look like if, if we had, you know, even one or 2% of our, our parishioners got back to a sacramental life? They got back to regular confession, back to regularly receiving a good, holy, and worthy communion too, which is another thing we don't talk about very much, discerning the body and blood of Christ. I mean, this is, what are we talking about here? The source and summit of the Christian life, right? Um, what does that look like right now for us, Robert? The, I mean, we are blessed here in, in the Archdiocese of Edmonton right now, and in most of Alberta, we can at least go to, to Mass, and our priests are I know our parish priests are, are so good when it comes to just come to confession, like give us a call, make an appointment. We're going to, we're going to see everybody. Right. But yeah, those confession lines, they're, they're not very long. So what do you, what are your thoughts on that, Robert? How can we get back to that sacramental life in a, in a time of turmoil like we are right now? Yeah. So it comes back to like you, you were saying a little <clears throat> bit earlier that that last sense of the sacredness and we, and we need to, to start restoring that that sense of the sacredness in, in our role, and, and here when I say our role, um, the, the role of the, the laity in all of that is to be uh, that quiet yet authentic witness to our faith. Um, and, and you're saying that you know the, the sacraments, we are being distanced from the sacraments. I mean, here in Ontario, it was just announced yesterday uh, that as of, 12.01 a.m. December 26th, everything's being shut down. Uh, and that okay. includes mass. Mm. Right? And uh, we're very blessed where we live in the Toronto areas. We're the, the last region here in Durham region, just east of Toronto. We're the last region in the greater Toronto area that actually still have our churches open somewhat for mass at 30% capacity. Uh, where the other is at Toronto proper and York region north and, and Peel region to the to the west, that's been shut down almost a month now. To the point where we've actually seen a problem in in our area in that you know people are registering for Christmas mass, but the you know, parishioners aren't able to get in to register for their own Christmas mass because people from all over the city have already registered in, in their mass. So there there is that desire people are, are, are looking still to reconnect but we need to with our own like i said quiet and authentic witness uh, show people and, and not be afraid to talk about that um like not be afraid to say you know someone saying come on out for a beer or that that's you know let's hang out in the, at the garage and and have a have a beer or, or talk or or online and say well no, I'm going to confession. That has mm. to to wait, right? And, and just, it can just be as simple as that. I'm on my way to confession. How about an hour or so after that, right? And I think people too, when they they see the way we behave, then they will want to have that as well. Uh, a good friend of mine and, and another great lay evangelist, Patrick Sullivan. Uh, he has evango.net and he's spoken across Canada and across the, the United States. But he, he says, you know, 
when you have that joy of the Christian life, people are going to want what you have, right? And so, like I said, that, that quiet, authentic witness, that, that quiet joyfulness, when people see that, they will want what you have. Uh, and it's you know, been my experience um, as leading parish mission, and especially more the people I see on a day-to-day -day basis uh, at school where I've had staff members come up and say, like, you're such a calming influence on me. I said, well, you know, that's because you didn't see me half an hour earlier because I was so wound up kicking furniture around the classroom. Uh, but they said, you're, you're just such a, a calming influence, which comes from having a sacramental life, mm -hmm. you know, frequent confession, frequent adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, right? and that grounding in Christ. And other people see that, and so they want that. Mm -hmm. And they will ask you, you know, how, you know not, they're not going to say, you know, how can I have that? But they will say, well, you know, when's the next time you're, you're going to Mass? Or when is the next time you're going for adoration and, and for prayer? And again, we, we need to remember it's not going to be hundreds and thousands at a time, even if it's just that one soul. Yes. Right? And it's that, that slow, joyful quiet witness that will start bringing people back but people are now realizing what they're losing mm -hmm. right? we, we took it for granted for so long all of a sudden now it's gone and, and so people are starting to look for those other avenues to return to the faith uh, and so as we were talking about before you know when i would do the lectio divina at school when you know life was going on as normal there was three of us now all of a sudden where there's this this pandemic going on around us and the world seems to be falling apart all of a sudden the numbers are four or five times greater mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and now that we won't be back in the school building until the end of january when i do the friday morning prayer on zoom uh, those numbers will be even greater mm -hmm. as people realize that they what they were taking for granted, what they always thought was going to be there, isn't there anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what? coming back to the Eucharist again, uh, Robert, is that, you know, I think when we have widespread buy-in and the belief of the real presence of the Eucharist, because really, you know, if you're another denomination or another religion and the outside world looks and says, well, well why not just stay home? Why can't you just stay home and do this thing on online on Zoom? Um, us Catholics, we gotta stand up and say there's a really good reason why we can't do this over Zoom or on Teams. We gotta be there in person, and that's because we believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And <laughs> through our lives, we're gonna show you that we're gonna we're filled with Jesus's love because we we can get this from the source and the summit of the Christian life. And uh, I think when we get that that buy-in, I said, why is it? it'd be nice if it was widespread, but even just from a few, a few holy people, that's all, that's all it takes, right? It's just that seed. I think we're going to see a, a massive change for the good. And there's such an opportunity right now. I just, I don't want us Catholics to lose this. There's a massive opportunity for us to, to be a, you know, a, a great example for the world right now. Very, very, very much so. And, and I think as you were saying that, I think it comes down to, how do we approach the Eucharist? How do we treat the mm. Eucharist? Right? Do 
we treat it as just something that we go up and automatically do and kind of like robots quote put our, our hands out and kind of walk five six steps and and, and consume the bread and not give it any more thought and, and it's not transformative in our life or do we really understand and really see that as god as god uh, i just came across a, a quote recently from saint jean vianney uh, where he said you know if we truly understood the mass we would die of joy mm -hmm. And I've heard that elsewhere too from other, other priests saying that if we truly understood what was happening at the consecration, we would fall, would fall down dead. Uh, and our pastor who is, is very traditional uh, and I've learned a lot. We've been in this parish now for three years and, I, and I've learned a lot liturgically and traditionally from, from him. Uh, he wears the maniple. Right, which I had never seen before. I actually had to look up because he, you know, he would be saying mass, and he's got this, this piece of cloth dangling from from his one arm. It's like, okay, no, I've been going to church for you know the better part of forty years. I've never seen this before. What? And I had to look up the the, the maniple. So the the piece of cloth, it's almost like a a long handkerchief, if you if you want, that kind of folds over the end. And I, when I, I realized what it was, it was originally designed for the priest to be able to wipe the tears of joy away from their eyes as they were praying the mass. Right? And I thought, how beautiful is that? Yeah, how, that, that a priest that is beautiful. I didn't know that. I've never heard that before. <laughs> and then I, I, had to, I had to look that up. Um, and again, it's that sense of the sacred. Um, how we receive the, the Eucharist, uh, and having read Bishop Athanasius Snyder's uh, Dominus Est and, and talking about, you know, that truly is the, uh, is the Lord. Um, so I, I got in the habit, say in the last four or five years, received the Eucharist kneeling and on the tongue. Well, Beautiful. That, that, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, to the point again where I know one of priests who have had their knuckles wrapped because they were still administering communion on the tongue during these days. Um, and there was one day, it was a, it was a staff mass at school on a PA day. I hadn't received the Eucharist in months and I just kind of went up and whispered in the priest's ear and I said, like, if I'm the last one, do you have problems to give me Eucharist on the tongue? while kneeling he says as long as you're the last one so that and that was the last time i received the eucharist that would have been back in, in october and that was the first time since march right and i was i was i was in tears i was in absolute tears because of that and we as catholics need to recapture this and we need to show other catholics mm -hmm. the, the beauty of the eucharist so, Eucharistic um, processions, adoration within the within the parishes, having an, an adoration chapel or, or you know, holy hours within the parish. And for my my wife and I, that has become our, our Friday evening. We'll we'll have dinner and then we'll go to the parish for for adoration and mass. And it is just such a, a beautiful thing to do with my wife. Right? That's that's awesome. So good. And like I say, too, just having that, that courage then to, to say to others, you know, what are you doing Friday evening? Yeah, 
we're going to Mass. Right? Um, or we go to the St. Augustine Seminary here in Toronto, run uh, once a month a, a workshop for a retreat day for the laity. And so people are saying, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm taking my wife on a date to the seminary. Right? People kind of look, <laughs> look at you like you've got two heads. But, you know, we liked it because we're treated like adults there. There's for the faith formation and then the mass, uh, absolutely beautiful chapel at, at St. Augustine's. And I think having that witness then to, to others and then through time, people will say, oh, that actually sounds pretty cool. How, how can mm -hmm. we get in on that, right? And well, it's the, capturing that one, that one soul. Example means something, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, just genuflecting before our Lord, how we receive our Lord in the Eucharist. These, uh, this all means something. These are all acts that we can do that uh, they're, they're beyond symbolic. They, they mean something to the, to the core of our souls. And, and even, like you said, how we receive the Eucharist worthily, um, not only do we have to examine ourselves and our, and our souls, but also how we receive. Are we, are we, we're going up there to, like, like we're get, picking up pizza or something like that, or are we there to receive our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity? It, it makes a big difference. And I'm really glad that you said, you know, how, you're, how you receive, and it, it does make a difference. It really does. So, Robert, the, the time has flown by. Uh, we didn't even get to everything I think we were going to chat about. Which is good because this gives us ammo for next time we we start to uh, to fire off some some prayers and to and grace into this world. So um, it's a blessing to to call you a brother, Robert, and uh, I'm so glad that we got to connect. And uh, I'm sure we'll be staying in touch. Thank you for that because you know, it's it's important conversations to have and important conversations for for folks to hear. So absolutely, thank you sure. so much for inviting me, and thank you so much for for your ministry. Uh, we need more and more people to take those courageous steps out into the the world of catholic ministry and getting the word out so god may god continue to bless your vocation and may he bless your your ministry as well oh thank you robert and it's uh, it's great to, to have a brother like you in the vineyard too so that's great so how how can we find your work and you remind people where where your uh, your website is and how they can get a hold of you if they want to follow what you're up to yeah so you can find me at catholicmoment.ca uh, and on the website you, there's there's spots for the the video there's a spot for the the blog um, you can also find me uh, on facebook catholic moment seven uh, catholic moment was already taken and seven's the the number i've always worn on my my jersey for hockey so catholic moment seven <laughs> just like uh, the great paul coffee there there another, we go another ontario guy <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so, so catholicmoment.ca or catholicmoment7 uh, on the, the social media. So. Outstanding. Thanks so much again, Robert. Uh, God bless you, and uh, we'll be in touch. Okay, thank you, and may God bless you as well. And a big thank you again to Robert LeBlanc for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening. A reminder that, hey, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Parler, and I invite you to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your fine podcast. And to all you Catholics out there, a reminder, you got to go to confession at least three times every year. Every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening again, everyone. God bless you. We'll talk to you very soon.